Today on Abounding Grace, we learn that trials come to us all. We have it wrong when we think that we're going to be protected from every pain and every difficulty. Exactly opposite happens. You and I suffer more for following Christ, not less. You have all the things of living in the world, and then you have those things that come to you uniquely as a follower of Christ. God is working. And this is so important to remember as we come to this section of Scripture. You have to understand something. There's no way you can sidestep the pain and suffering of this world. You don't get a pass because you're a believer. We all face pain and problems and sorrows. This is amazing grace. When a severe trial strikes, like COVID-19, it's easy to think something is wrong or that God must be mad at us. But the truth of the matter is, every Christian will go through trials, and it doesn't diminish God's love for us or necessarily indicate it's a result of sin in our lives. Today on Abounding Grace, we continue to receive encouragement, practical instruction, and eternal perspective for those times when we suffer greatly. Pastor Ed Taylor has his eye on 1 Peter 4 and verses 12 through 19 today. Solomon, a man of great wisdom, he wrote to us and he said, everything under the sun, S-U-N, is vanity and emptiness. That's his testimony. When he comes to the end of his life and he's writing to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's writing his, his book, Ecclesiastes, He tells us over and over again, everything under the sun is empty. Money, wisdom, women, possessions, power, prestige. He had them all. Not only did he have them all, but he had them in abundance. You could say that Solomon lived the kind of life that many people aspire to today. People spend their whole lives, even some wasting their whole lives, trying to have everything that Solomon was given in abundance. But as he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, he comes to this wonderful conclusion. He says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so, yes, everything under the sun, S-U-N, is emptiness and vanity. But everything under the sun or in the sun, S-O-N, is precious and wonderful. Things really change when you're born again. Your life is completely transformed. The Bible says that you and I as born again believers are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the beginning of that ongoing transformation starts the moment you're born again. And all of these things begin to have purpose and meaning. The worldly wisdom and money and women and possessions and relationships and power and all the things that may seek to fulfill you, you begin to have the perspective of how God wants to use them in his kingdom. Now, at first glance, when you hear that, you're like, okay, lad, I get it. 
Everything in Jesus is precious and it's good and it's wonderful. But then some will hear that and have some hesitancy. You go, wait a minute, Ed. Are you saying to me that as a Christian, everything's going to be great? Everything's going to be wonderful? What about broken dreams? That doesn't sound very precious. What about pain? What about what the doctor just said? What about how my mom treats me? What about my shattered life? Just got diagnosed with cancer. How is that precious in the sun? I have delays, denials, and difficulties. What about when we face death? What about when we see death as an untimely thing? And we don't at all like it. They come to us in the sun, S-O-N. They come to us as believers. And we learn, even today, in verse 19 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good, as to a faithful creator. Yes, suffering and difficulty comes in the will of God, in the Son, to believers. I mean, you think of Joseph spending 13 years in prison, falsely accused. And that was after being thrown into a pit by his own brothers. Joseph went from the pit to the prison, ultimately to the palace. But God was at work. I think of Moses spent 40 years of his life, a third of his life on the backside of the desert, alone, isolated, nowhere near where he believed God would have him. He, he felt and sensed this calling of God to deliver the people, to be a servant to God. He, he chose affliction with the people of Israel instead of all of the, the beautiful gifts that would come to him uh, in his position in Egypt. And yet, 40 years in the backside of the desert. And God was using the desert in his life. Listen, some of you may be in the desert right now. And God is using the desert experience in your life. Now, Moses got there because of his own sin. I mean, he take, took things into his own hands. And there he finds himself in a place of isolation, in a place of humility. Like one of the greatest gifts that God can give to you and me is humility. To be in a place of being, of being usable to him. And it doesn't come in pride and arrogance. It comes in humility. And Moses is in the desert being humbled by God. God is working. God's working in your desert experience too. You might be in the pit listening on the radio in prison right now. God is at work. He hasn't abandoned you. No matter how you feel. I think of those young men that dedicated their lives from an early age, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know how their life begins? Their life begins in the sun, you know, by looking forward to Messiah. Their life begins following God, being raised in the ways of God. And what was their reward at a very young age? They were kidnapped. They were removed from their homeland. They were brought into the palace to be reprogrammed, to be used, perhaps even abused. They were young, thriving, wonderful men of God. And when given the chance to stand for the things of God against an evil, wicked ruler, they did. And what was their reward for obedience? Well, he not only threw them in the hot, fiery furnace, but before that, he lit it up seven times hotter. We have it wrong when we think that we're going to be protected from every pain and every difficulty. Exactly opposite happens. You and I suffer more for following Christ, not less. You have all the things of living in the world, and then you have those things that come to you uniquely as a follower of Christ. God is working. And this is so important to remember as we come to this section of Scripture. 
Peter's telling us that there's no way whatsoever that any of us in this room connected to this Bible study in any way and you can think of all the ways that a Bible study goes forward. You forward it on Facebook, you're listening to it on the app, you're burned a CD for a friend that still has a CD player. It doesn't matter. However you're receiving it, watch it on YouTube. You have to understand something. There's no way you can sidestep the pain and suffering of this world. You don't get a pass because you're a believer. We all face pain and problems and sorrows. So with that in mind, notice in verse 12 what Peter tells those suffering saints, what he tells them then and what he tells us now. He says, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Now pull back for a second and understand. Peter's saying, don't think it's strange concerning the trials you're going to face while they're in the midst of a big trial, the biggest trial they've ever faced in their lives, perhaps even the largest loss in their lives, as they're on the run, as Nero is after them, blaming them for destroying the city burning it down, as, as their family and friends are being burned alive in the gardens. He says, I don't want you to think it's strange. It's going to get worse. And I don't want you to just think it's unusual. It's normal. Strange. If you like to write in your Bible, circle that word strange. From the original language, it speaks to us of astonished. Don't be astonished when things get harder. Another word you could write next to it is surprised. Don't be surprised. D- d- another word, don't be struck. You know, kind of like when you're struck in the face and you're just like all in shock. Don't be shocked when things get harder. Don't be shocked when difficult things come. Dozens and dozens of times this word is used in the New Testament. But that's the problem, isn't it? One of the biggest problems when it comes to suffering, in addition to the pain of the situation itself, is that we do think it's strange. We do think it's strange. We think it's strange that we would go through it. We pray for a lot of people in their pain and suffering. And we listen to their story and maybe even in the back of our minds, we think, yeah, I can understand that. I can see how you're going through that. I can see why. But when it happens to us, it's a shock. You know, you're looking at someone's life and you think, you come to this conclusion, you say, you know what? I don't think I could ever experience what they're going through. I don't ever want to experience it. And and that's a good expression to have and a good desire to have. I wouldn't want you to experience those types of things either. But then when it does happen to you, it shocks you. You're like, I never thought it would happen. I mean, that's the language we use. I never thought I'd ever experience. I never thought it would be this hard. I never thought it would hurt this much. Those are all expressions of doing what Peter says not to do here. Thinking it's strange. He doesn't say, don't feel it's strange. He says, don't think it's strange. You're going to go through all sorts of emotions and feelings when you're hurting. And what the enemy is going to be using that situation to do is to mess with your head. Because he knows probably more than we really believe and live that what, what you believe will dictate how you behave. That your behavior stems directly from what you believe. And if he can get us off our game, you know, and get us losing our equilibrium and off balance then we'll have some weird beliefs. We'll start believing things differently than what God has revealed. It seems strange to us that the life that we've lived, we get to a place where, hey man, after all that we've done, all that we've sacrificed, all the service we've given to God, that he would have let this happen to me? It seems strange to us that we're living for God and we're suffering, but then my neighbor, he hates God, and it seems like he never suffers. 
It seems strange that, man, why doesn't God just stop it? I mean, David, the psalmist, really wrestled with this himself. In Psalm 73, verse 12, he says, Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I not keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Psalm 73, it's from the New Living. Did I do all this for nothing? That's his thought. Perhaps it's yours sometimes too. But we live in the real world. And in the real world, good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. But you know, bad things happen to bad people too. Because pain is a part of life. So God says, you could even hear this, couldn't you? you could, I'm sure you could hear this in the beginning of the previous challenging year that we all shared globally. You could just hear heaven say, don't think this strange. I'm still on the throne. Don't think it's strange what you're about to go, to, go through. Don't think it's strange what you're going to face. As if some strange thing happened to you. Now it's different, but it wasn't strange. Don't be astonished. You know, it makes me very angry. So much so that I don't, I have all these channels on my antenna TV, you know, blocked of all the, most of the stations that have all the health and wealth guys on there teaching that, man, you know, you're never going to, if you give to my ministry, you'll never have pain, never have suffering. You know, it ticks me off. These guys are not teaching the truth. These gals are not teaching the truth. You're going to get sick. Everyone listening to me right now is going to die of their last sickness. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Nobody's going to sidestep that. And no giving to a ministry, no 30-fold, none of that nonsense is true. Your giving is out of a desire to please God in a response to his love for you, not some pressure or guilt that comes upon you. We live in the real world. And the real world is filled with real needs, real suffering, and real sorrows. If we were to do a little survey of everybody walking in the room and they wrote down what they're going through right now, even on a scale of one to 10, even, the one, even those that might say right now life is really good, but there's a few things. And I read them one after another, just in this room, just this service. I believe some of you would be shocked of some of the heaviness that's in the room right now. Heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. You know, not many people are talking about it. They're not wearing it on their sleeve. It's not their identity. They're learning how to endure through the pain and through the suffering. Some of you have been carrying things for years and years and years. Some of you have been battling the same chronic illness for years and years and years and years. Some of you have been praying for your kids years and years and years and years. Some of you have been barely making it financially or sometimes not making it at all for years and years and years. We could go list after list after list after list after list just in the room. We wouldn't have to make things up. It would just be among us. The cares and concerns that we carry. And I see things, I hear things, I speak to people almost every day. The kind of things, and this is where one of the ways you can pray for your pastors here, well, you can pray for your leaders here, the lay leaders. You can pray for those that are standing in in biblical discipleship. You, you just hear things here all day, every day, all throughout the week that'll start to discourage you. Like you could be so you could be so encouraged, so built up, but then you start to carry burdens with one another. You start to hear stories. Man, before you know it, you'll go home exhausted and discouraged. Uh, you could feel that way watching the news. When you're watching the news and, and you're just like, man, another one, another child hurt, 
another car ripped off. You know, that was somebody's car. I was watching just last night. Somebody's moving to Colorado. They've got their moving van and a car in the back and somebody ripped them off at the hotel their whole life. Taken. Fortunately, they got most of it back, but what traumatic, what a traumatic experience. Or, you know, the big thing happening right now are people waking up in the morning and their catalytic converter's been cut out of their car. You know, those that are strung out on drugs, I remember the time they came to the property here and they stole all the wires from our, from our parking lot twice. Twice. What did they get for it? 20 bucks. And it's like, man, Lord. And those, you know, are just the tip of the iceberg. And so God says, church, your faith in Jesus. Peter says, your faith in Jesus. Don't think it's strange. As if some strange thing happened to you. It is normal Christian living to suffer pain and to walk with difficulty. It's not strange that you're suffering as a Christian. It's not. It's not strange that the world thinks the church is not essential. That's not strange. That's normal. It's not strange that those in positions of authority would try to make it hard for Christians to come together. It's not strange that there'd be resistance after time, after time, after time. That's normal. It's normal Christian living that God meets you in your struggle. 40 years on the backside of the desert, God never left Moses one time. From the moment that Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, the revelation of his presence was with him all the way. God knew now, it's a difficult thing, of course, but God knew about the palace. He knew what he was going to do. And that's one of the truths about Jesus. Remember when he was feeding the thousands, he told them to go get the supplies to get ready to feed them. And what did he say? The Bible says in John's gospel that Jesus was testing him because he already knew what he was going to do. I love that. It's something I come back to constantly. I may not know what God's doing in my life, but Jesus already knows what he wants to do with my life. It's been mapped out for me. It's not strange. I like how the New Living Translation translates this. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Or the message translation, the paraphrase, he really nailed this one. Uh, Eugene Peterson, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he wrote, Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Isn't that good? Such a good paraphrase. Don't jump to the conclusion like God isn't there. But, verse 13, he says, Rejoice, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. But if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Let's just pause for a second. Strange trials, making you think it's strange, difficult, hard, astonished. And then Peter says, don't think it's strange. Nothing strange is happening. Instead of thinking it's strange, I want you to rejoice that you're suffering. That's, that's not easy to do. I, 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 don't even, I don't even think it's possible to do in the human realm. I'm not, it's not possible. I mean, I mean, obviously I could probably fake it and say, oh, yay, I'm going through trial, yippee, but not mean it. Like to me, it's impossible. This is like an impossibility. Hey, I want you to, when you're going through something that's so strange and so hard, I want you to rejoice. That's what I want you to do. I want you to be happy about it. 
I want you to just, oh, yes, God is doing a work. Yes, I'm in the pit. I don't know if I'm ever going to get out. Yes, I got sold. Yes, I was accused of a fal- falsely of a crime. Oh, yes, yay, yay, yay. But, but his point is not in the circumstances. His point is God has brought you to the end of yourself so you can turn to him. That's where true joy comes from. True joy doesn't come because you're in a trial. True joy comes from because now God has brought you to a place where you look to him. And I love the fact that God would lay before us an impossibility and a challenge so that we know that we are following Jesus in our sufferings. I mean, we're not going to be scourged. You know, every Good Friday, what do we do? We talk about the scourging, the beating of Jesus. Every Good Friday, it's the same, the same message generally that we cover on what happened on that very dark and difficult day. William Barclay writes, and I quote, Roman scourging was a terrible torture. And that we'll just put, I'll just put the name of Jesus in this because this is what he experienced. The author didn't do that, but I'm going to do it. Roman scourging was a terrible torture. Jesus would have been stripped. His hands were, would have been tied behind him, tied to a post. Jesus' back would have bent over double, conveniently exposing himself to the beating, to the lash. The lash itself was a long leather thong studded at intervals with sharpened pieces of bone and pellets of lead. Such scourging always preceded crucifixion and it reduced the naked body to strips of raw flesh and inflamed and bleeding wheels. Men died under it and men lost their reason under it and few remained conscious to end it. Most did not stay awake for the ending of scourging. And that's the suffering that's mentioned here. I want you to rejoice because you're identifying with Jesus. It's a lot easier to identify with Jesus in water baptism. (laughs) And God commands us to identify in water baptism. He, He wants you to walk into the waters of death and then go down under the water to be buried like Christ, to come up out of the water as being risen with Christ. And you do that publicly Water baptism as a believer so that you can identify publicly with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. To say unequivocally, without any hesitation, that you have decided to follow Jesus. It's one of the first things a new believer will do. But also there's identification with Jesus in his suffering. Not a suffering that was brought upon yourself. Jesus didn't bring the suffering upon himself. Not in the way you would think. Like He was love incarnate in person. He was the epitome of love. He never sinned. He only loved and served and cared. And in that way, he brought it upon himself. He came to die. So your suffering isn't because you're strange. Your suffering is because you're identifying with Jesus. And when you step back and say, you know, my Lord suffered. The word here in verse 13, he says, rejoice to the extent that you partake. That word partake is very important. Next to it, you could write the word fellowship. You know why? This is the word koinonia. This is the word in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that the early church had together. Pastor Ed Taylor has been in 1 Peter, drawing out encouragement and perspective for trying times like these. Trials come to us all, so we're not to think it's strange when they do, but rather we're to rejoice in the midst of it. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow on Abounding Grace. 
We're going and growing through a study of 1 Peter right now. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through as we begin a new year. Well, here in the month of January, we picked out an excellent one written by Lee Strobel. It's The Case for Heaven. We all want to know what awaits us on the other side of death. Do we just cease to exist, as some suggest, or reincarnate? Is there a heaven and hell? Much like a journalist, author Lee Strobel interviews experts about the evidence for the afterlife. You'll receive answers to your questions about what happens after we die. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for The Case for Heaven, our number 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 